Hey everyone, the It's All Journalism team wanted to remind you that we have an email newsletter where you can get all the latest news about our podcast. Go to our website, itsalljournalism.com, and follow the link to subscribe. And now, enjoy our latest episode. Inside a prison, the reporters and editors they're not celebrities, but they're people who have a lot of authority inside. So they're not actually viewed with a lot of suspicion. They're viewed as people who are doing really important work. In the United States, the history of newspapers published inside prisons by incarcerated individuals stretches back nearly 200 years. While there are fewer prison newspapers today, those that remain serve a vital role in documenting the lives and concerns of their imprisoned audience. I'm Michael O'Connell. This is It's All Journalism. People incarcerated in U.S. prisons have had their own newsrooms since 1800. Kate McQueen is the editor of the Prison Newspaper Project. She's here to give us the inside story of the voices from the inside. Kate, welcome to It's All Journalism. Thanks for having me. So let's start off with, tell me a little about yourself. What's your journalist journey? How did you get interested in journalism? Well, I actually started out as a journalism researcher and sort of backed my way into journalism practice. I've always been fascinated by the history of the press and the way in which writers try to capture quote unquote reality in their texts. So that's what I research. But I do find that research and journalism are not that different from each other. Both use a variety of sources to answer questions about the world around us. What's different is the audience and also the way in which we present the information. So scholars write for specialized audiences and journalists write for the rest of us in the general population that don't have a lot of background knowledge. I found journalism is more fun to do. Journalists have a much wider toolbox. You know, you get to use a narrative and first person voice sometimes. You can add humor to your work. You get to go into archives and talk to people. So I found myself in a position where I wanted to do a bit of both. And I'm lucky that I get to do that as a faculty member at University of California, Santa Cruz. That's pretty cool. I also enjoy doing stories. You know, I get an opportunity to dig into some papers and to do some research and bring in things from the past. So how did you end up getting involved in the Prison Newspaper Project? Prison Newspaper Project is one of the two products that I oversee at Prison Journalism Project, our, our mothership, <laughs> our main organization. I'm also the managing editor for our instructional print newspaper, which is a physical newspaper that we send inside of prisons. It's partially a digest and partially a teaching tool. So we teach journalism skills in the double spread in the middle of the newspaper. But our overarching goal as an organization is to train incarcerated writers in the tools of journalism and help publish their stories. And we do that in a couple of ways. We offer instruction through our J School. We have an online magazine and the print newspaper where we publish their work. And then we also facilitate co-publishing opportunities with outside media organizations. The projects under my supervision, the Prison Newspaper Project and our Prison Newspaper, both are specifically geared for inside audiences. So that's that's kind of what makes my little corner different. Shaheen Pasha and Yukari Kane, the co-founders of the, the Prison Journalism Project, we've had them on the podcast a couple of times. Fascinating stuff. And actually, among our most listened to episodes. You know, how is your, what you're doing with the newspaper project different than what they're doing? 
It's actually an interesting story. I connected with Yukari and Shaheen through a prison newspaper. Yukari and I were both editorial advisors for a prisoner-run newspaper in California called the San Quentin News. So that's how we kind of connected. And I came on in the early days to sort of help support our instructional material, but I've worn a lot of different hats, done editing. I've managed a couple of our special projects. Everything we do, like I said, is geared to support prison writers learn how to do journalism and get their stories out into the world. PJP as a whole mostly works with writers who don't have any kind of additional resources inside. So they're working independently, kind of like freelancers. People who work in prison newspapers, on a prison newspaper staff, do have an inside network. They're an institution in their own right. So there are slightly different populations of prison journalists, I guess you could say. We knew from the beginning we wanted to do outreach with prison newspapers. They're like our siblings. And when the opportunity arose, it seemed like it would be a good fit for me, in part because of my background working with San Quentin News and also because of my love of archives, which is in part what we've produced with the prison newspaper project. So how did you get involved with the uh, San Quentin newspaper? I just was really fascinated by prison writing generally. I started out teaching writing inside through a college and prison program. And the more I learned about the history of journalism behind bars, the more I knew I wanted to be involved with these writers in particular. And so when I moved to the Bay Area, I just knew that I wanted to volunteer at San Quentin News. What is it about this type of journalism that appealed to you? It's a way in which local journalism gets done in a environment that is really potentially inhospitable to journalism. So the work that these men and women do is really fascinating. It's courageous. It's like the front lines of offering information to communities that otherwise don't have great sources of information. And yeah, I I found that really admirable and I really wanted to support it. Tell me a little bit more about the, the San Quentin paper. How does it resemble a paper that we were used to seeing, a community paper? And, and maybe how does it how is it different? Yeah, prison newspapers are actually a lot like what you might imagine a small town newspaper to look like or a college newspaper. So what goes inside tends to be stuff first and foremost that serves their their community. So they write stories covering events like uh, graduations or celebrity visits. They'll profile people in the community that are doing interesting work. They will put out announcements and comment on changes in prison policy. They're also a place where people can exchange opinions about things in politics and culture. So, I mean, essentially, they're like your small town newspaper. They're a really important source of information for that community. But they also do write for prison officials, for politicians at the state and local level, for people that live and work in proximity to the prison. So it's really interesting how they how they manage to do both of these things at the same time. So a lot of the stories they focus on are about rehabilitation and reform. If I can give you an example, one of the we recently republished on on our website on prisonjournalismproject.org is a piece from San Quentin News about a recent visit that a bunch of judges took to the prison. So this whole cohort of judges came inside. They had a tour of the facility, which was run by people who are incarcerated. And then they had a sit down together and had like a forum where they had the opportunity to ask each other questions. 
And the reporter who wrote the piece was able to, you know, reproduce this dialogue for the readers. And it's just so fascinating and thought provoking to see the kinds of questions they asked each other. It's a unique situation anyway, to have judges and people who were judged and sentenced be in an informal space like that. And I think that the article did a really good job of showing how the conversation challenged assumptions on both sides. So that's the kind of thing you can find in a prison newspaper. I mean, how prevalent are these? Does every prison have them? The majority? Does a handful? You know, about how many are we talking about? Such a great question. So prison newspapers used to be pretty common in the U.S. They do have a long and storied history. The first prison newspapers came about kind of at the same time that journalism was developing in the U.S. So the oldest one that we have in an archive in, in the States was founded in 1800. They didn't start to be fully prisoner run until the late 19th century. And by that, I mean, you had an inside staff you had inside editors and you had writers inside producing the content. But the first prison newspaper study that was done was in 1935. And the person who put that together found that nearly half of U.S. prisons had a publication. And then they reached an all-time high around 1959 with 250 prison newspapers appearing regularly nationwide. So a pretty sizable corner of the fourth estate, you could say. That did take a nosedive in the 80s and 90s. Uh, most of them closed shop. Only a handful were still around by 2000. But then there was, I don't know, something in the air and a number of publications started up around 2010 or got started again. So there were a couple legacy publications that never went away. Like the first fully prisoner run newspaper is called The Prison Mirror. It publishes still today out of Stillwater, which is a, a state prison in Minnesota. And we've started tracking prison newspapers that are currently operating. And we found that there's about 25 publishing across 12 states. I'm sure there's more out there, but those are the ones we've actually been able to verify. And if people are curious to know about them, they can find that in our directory, our prison newspaper directory on our website. You know, through your research, are these papers something that that the institution implemented or encouraged? Or is it something that the prisoners felt that they needed? Is it part of some sort of rehabilitation that, you know, here's a trade that maybe you could could do, you could run a printing house or something? Where is this going? Where did this come from? Uh, the short answer is yes to all of those things. <laughs> I think each prison and each newspaper staff probably had slightly different motives. Interestingly, you can kind of see those motives in action thanks to a prison newspaper archive that's recently launched through JSTOR. I don't know how many of your readers are familiar with JSTOR, but it's a digital library with the help of another nonprofit digitization organization called Revealed Digital. They've curated an open access archive of prison newspapers. It's huge and historical and reach. So you can go into their archive and you can read the first issue of a lot of prison newspapers and see what they had to say about why they felt the need to start. I have done that off and on a little in my own work, and I found all of the things you said are true. So sometimes in the past, printing, the skill of printing was seen as a viable career option for people after getting out of prison. It's hard to imagine today, but, you know, 50 years ago, there were a lot of printing presses. And it's so a trade. Um, yeah, yeah, it was a trade that people thought, well, this is something that's going to work. Other places like 
one of the most important prison publications out of Louisiana is called The Angolite. It's a very beautiful magazine. And they got their lift from their prison warden who wanted a way to address violence inside. And he thought by creating a space for verified information and people to exchange ideas in print that he might be able to kind of calm down the the tensions that were on the yard. Some places they just want to talk to the outside. Others, they want to have a forum for self-expression. So there's lots of different goals that prison newspapers over the years have tried to reach. Oh, it does. It does. And it makes sense because people aren't that familiar with prisons. A lot of people aren't that familiar with prisons in the prison population. And so to hear that there's a you know ongoing tradition of journalism inside prisons, it's like, well, where does that come from? Is that something that's, is it like the water? Is it something that's part of the prison from the beginning or, you know, and then how does it figure into the culture? I mean, when you got involved in the, the San Quentin News, I mean, was there anything that, you know, obviously you were interested in this subject, but was there anything that sort of surprised you about the way things were put together and published or reported? Well, I would say maybe what makes the, prison publication landscape unique or special now is the fact that it's pretty closely tied to educational programming. So a lot of the times a prison publication will get started or will work in close contact with some kind of college classes. Sometimes it's through mental health programming. So sometimes a prison publication will start as like a newsletter for a mental health support group and it'll then branch into something larger. I don't know if anything kind of surprises me. I was charmed by how much it reminded me of the paper I read growing up in in my hometown. I guess maybe one thing that that is interesting about it is if, if you have the opportunity to go inside and work with the prison newspaper staff inside a prison, the reporters and editors are, they're not celebrities, but they're people who have a lot of authority inside. So they're not actually viewed with a lot of suspicion. They're viewed as people who are doing really important work. In some ways, I think they get more respect than journalists and editors on the outside do. So obviously, they want to write about something outside the prison. They're going to be facing some restrictions, and they have to figure out ways to cover that. What type of restrictions or constraints do the newspapers typically or or maybe often have? It probably depends a lot on the facility. My exposure has been with legacy prison newspapers that do have quite a lot of institutional support and prison administrative support, which gives them a lot of editorial freedom. So they've already earned their credibility. They have to maintain it, but they don't have the hard work of trying to convince Department of Corrections or their the corrections officers that work in their facility that they're worth supporting. Before I spoke to uh, Shaheen or Yukari, I actually interviewed a reporter from Western Pennsylvania named Joshua Vaughn, and he did a podcast. It was called What is Life? It was a series of interviews that he did with prisoners, and he talked about the opportunity he was able to have to talk to reporters to actually get some information from them, interview them to sort of tell a wider story about, you know, life sentences and issues in sentencing and crime. You know, again, because people don't know who these people are really or what experiences they're having in prison. And it's sort of a way to tell that story wider. Are there opportunities for that where 
you know, maybe people in, in the community, journalists in the community can come and, and volunteer at these, you know, the diff- different papers or somehow provide support? Yeah, the most successful prison newspapers are successful because they have a lot of volunteer support. That's true at the Angolite. That's true at San Quentin News. That's true at the Endeavor out of Florida. They really couldn't do the work that they do at the scale that they do it without having volunteers. So volunteers do a a number of different things. The biggest thing that they do is they provide outside research. So obviously, prison reporters, prison editors do not have access to the internet. They have very limited access to libraries. It kind of just depends on what their facility can offer them. So any kind of larger contextualization that they want to do, any extra data they want to add to their stories, they need to get from a volunteer or someone who who's paid by the prison to provide mentorship and supervision. Sometimes they're providing editorial support too. So they help with the copy editing, they help with training, and maybe also with some professional support. So helping with layout design, for example, So I I really encourage anyone who's listening to this that has a prison paper operating out of a facility near near you to think about it. If you have time, it's a really worthwhile way to support local journalism. Prison newspaper staffs work incredibly hard and their resources are very limited. Sometimes prison newspapers only have like one computer for a staff of 10. So a lot of the work has to be done very old school, <laughs> writing all the stories out and having one person type them. Are they printing the papers in the building or are they, you know, shipping it out to a printing house? It also just depends on the resources that a prison newspaper has. So some of them have the blessing of their prison administration, but they're not given any funding at all. And so they have to get paper donated. Sometimes they're like the old ones from the 80s. Many of them were Xeroxed you know, or mimeographed and Xeroxed, stapled by hand. (laughs) Other places that have a larger budget and have a good working relationship with their supervisor, the supervisor that the prison provides, either a corrections officer or someone who works in education, may do that work of facilitating the printing and distribution of the paper. A few places still print in-house, but I think it's becoming more and more rare. I mean, have people moved over to digital? I mean, are we well, I guess if they're limited to their access to the internet, that would be problematic, I guess. That's a great question, though. Actually, yes. A lot of media centers that are springing up out of educational programming in prisons are focusing instead of on print, on podcasting, radio journalism, or even video journalism, depending on the kind of resources the program has. So a good example of this is the one that runs out of Denver called Denver University's Prison Arts Initiative. They have a radio station that broadcasts to all the state prisons in in Colorado. If you were at San Quentin, I assume you've met Nigel Poor? Yes. Yeah, I have. Yeah. So the Media Center is a great example. They have an independent podcast. They also have radio programming that they do, and they have a video programming. San Quentin News has its own news show, too, that gets broadcast in addition to a print newspaper that prints monthly and is distributed to all the prisons in the state of California. And they also have a quarterly magazine that does more long form. It's interesting. I like the idea that prison newspapers are creating content and running stories for their population. But they also, you know, these are things that 
have a wider reach for a lot of different reasons. I think you kind of alluded to the fact that if it's part of some training program or if it's reflecting, you know, some investment maybe a, a politician or, or the state house has put in to that section of the of the prison, you know, it's nice to see a result of that or a reflection of that. What do you see as the wider benefit of doing this and sort of exposing the journalism outside of the prison? Prison newspapers are doing the same kind of work that Prison Journalism Project is trying to do, which is get more voices from inside in the public conversation about criminal justice reforms. How can we open up the conversations that we have about incarceration and law enforcement in the U.S.? And kind of the best way to do that is through media. Often what outside reporters do or what they have done in the past is just use people who are inside as a source. And what we want to do and what prison newspapers want to do is make a situation where the prisoner is the writer, is the person who creates the the story and is able to tell it with their own voice. And I guess, you know, I was going to ask you, but I guess the answer to that is obvious is to why is that important? It's because that's a voice we don't hear. Yeah. Helping create curiosity, too, for people. I mean, prisons are very isolated spaces. It's very difficult to access them from the outside. And anything that a prison newspaper can get out is a way to shine light on a on an area that's otherwise really dark, informationally dark. So we haven't talked much about the the writers we've kind of been talking about referring to them back and forth. I mean, the, the, the writers you know and that you've worked with, what is it they're getting out of this? They get a lot of things out of working for a prison newspaper and also for Prison Journalism Project. If they're just working with us, they get a way to practice self-expression, which is huge if you're someone who's been more or less forgotten by society. A lot of the people that we work with and many of the people who run prison newspaper staffs are lifers, so they don't have a, a strong connection to the outside anymore. Self-agency is a big thing for, especially for prison newspaper staffs, because they are producing their own publication. They get to make the editorial decisions. They decide what stories to write and publish. They take responsibility for what it is that they're writing. It's incredibly important for the communities that they cover. I've heard several times people tell me how they were so excited to have a story written about them, about, say, their graduation in the prison newspaper, because they could clip that story out and send it to their mom. And, you know, this was maybe the first time that a newspaper had given positive coverage to them. So things like that make a big difference. I don't know, all communities need a source of information. So prison publications really do fill that need for their general population. And I mean, it's helpful for us to know what, what's happening inside too. So, so that the prison isn't a black box. Yeah. Giving those people a voice what you said about self-agency is, you know, it just, you don't necessarily think about it, but if your entire day is structured and that you really have no control over it, the ability to be able to have some decisions and be independent and, you know, be a human being is, you know, <laughs> there's incredible value in that, I would imagine, and a great deal of power in that as well. Anyway, I'm a fan of what the Prison Journalism Project does, and I think what you're doing is a wonderful addition to that. You know, thanks for coming on the podcast and sharing this information. Thank you so much for having me. And just like a last thing I'll add is the stories that are written by people inside are really wonderful 
fascinating, thought-provoking, and they just have a hard time reaching a wider audience. So that's part of what we're trying to do with our prison newspaper project is help amplify the work that's already being done inside by giving them an online presence in a way that they might not normally have. So I really encourage people to check out <laughs> what's on our website, but also connect with your local prison newspaper if you have one. Excellent. All right. Well, thanks again. Yeah, thank you. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who report the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter. To make sure you don't miss an episode of It's All Journalism, you can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, Amazon, and pretty much anywhere good podcasts are found. If you'd like to help us grow our podcast, like and share our episodes on social media. Look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It takes a lot of people to create an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicola Grisco is our audio producer. Amber Healy writes our web content. Amelia Brust is our booking manager. Steph Thomas manages our social media. Nick Dupre composed our theme music. Carolyn Belefsky designed our logo. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Thanks for listening.